Thinking in English Classes is starting a philosophical film course for English learners with one of our amazing tutors, Peter. It is a six-week course of conversation-based English lessons. You watch a different film with a different philosophical theme each week and then on Saturdays meet with Peter and discuss it. Before each lesson, you will also have the opportunity to read Peter's review of the film and write your own. Peter will give you full written feedback on your speaking and writing every week. This is a unique way to improve your English speaking and writing while thinking about some of the deepest topics and watching some great films. The course will be held on Saturdays beginning on July 29th. To find out more and book your slot, visit the Thinking in English Classes website, thinkinginenglish.link, or click the link in the description. Hello, I'm Tom Wilkinson, and welcome to the Thinking in English podcast, a podcast for intermediate to advanced level English learners. What insights can science provide about language learning? And how can we use this research to learn English? Well, keep listening to this episode to find out. You can get a full and free transcript for this episode over on the Thinking in English blog. The link is in the description and there's interactive transcripts available as well for Patreon subscribers. Here is today's vocabulary list. To distribute, to distribute, to spread out tasks, resources or information over intervals of time, space or people. For example, the books will be distributed free to local schools. Optimal, optimal, the most favourable or best possible, as in we have found that our workers reach their optimal level of performance around 11am. Retention. Retention. The ability to retain or remember information. As in, vocabulary retention is always a challenge for English learners. Recall. Recall. The ability to remember things. As in, my brother has total recall. He can remember everything. Input. Input. Information or data that is fed into a system or the brain. For example, I didn't have much input into the project. Memorization. Memorization. The act or process of learning something so that you will remember it exactly. For instance, I've tried many memorization techniques in recent years. Literacy. Literacy. The ability to read and write. As in, the country has a literacy rate of almost 98%. Immediate feedback. Immediate feedback. Prompt information given in response to an action or performance. For example, the students were given immediate feedback from the computer program. Mm -hmm.
I've given a lot of advice and tips out to Thinking in English listeners over the past two or three years. Recently, I realized that a lot of advice I have given was from either my own personal experience or what I learned while studying my teaching qualification back in 2016-2017. But I wanted to know what science tells us about language learning. Researchers who have spent years testing language learners, running experiments and studying how our brains work must have some great ideas. While teachers often have good insights, science can give us new insights and challenge some of our normal misconceptions. I have spent the last few weeks looking for scientific papers that could help us as language learners. And I have found a lot of information, from the best length of time between your study sessions to psycholinguistics approach to context. And today, I want to share this all with you guys, my audience. In fact, I found so much that I'm going to turn this into two, maybe even three episodes over the next few weeks. So look out for part two soon. Distributed practice. There is a lot of information online about when and how often you should be studying English. And a lot of it is based on anecdotal evidence rather than research. Consistency is important. We all know this. As with any skill, practicing regularly and consistently is essential. I recorded an episode on the 10,000 hour rule which discussed how it can take years and years of active and dedicated practice to become a master at a skill. Yet, that episode also showed how there are differing perspectives and ideas towards studying. While some researchers and popular science authors suggest 10,000 hours is the benchmark, others contend that the type of practice natural ability and quality of practice is more important than the time spent practicing. I talked about all that previously, but what does research tell us? What new things have I found? Well, one paper I found suggests that a method called distributed or spaced practice may be the best approach for high quality and long-term learning. Distributed practice is a learning technique that involves reviewing information or practicing a task at spaced intervals. In other words, focusing on shorter study sessions spaced out over a longer period of time. Rather than studying for one long study session once a week, distributed practice would encourage you to break this study session into shorter sessions stretched over the entire week, maybe two or three different sessions. This gives more time, space and opportunities for you to understand, comprehend and think about the information you are learning. I know from personal experience that if I spend two or three hours learning new vocabulary, I will forget it relatively quickly. This is what distributed practice encourages us not to do. 
Going back to the research, studies have shown that even when the total amount of time studying is the same, spacing out these sessions and the time between reviewing content leads to better learning outcomes. Why is spacing out your studying sessions more effective? Well, by spacing out your study, it becomes more difficult to remember content, meaning that you have to work harder and learn that content fully. The context in which you are studying varies, making it easier to commit things to memory, and it is less likely you will become habituated to the material. Habituated means that you become used to something. When you're trying to remember something over time, like studying for an exam, the best way to review the material is to space out your study sessions at certain intervals. The ideal timing for these review sessions or study sessions depends on how much time has passed between each session and your final goal, your final test. Research has been done on the best or optimal amount of time to leave between these study sessions, and it's usually between 10 to 30% of your total study time. For example, if you have a week before your test, it's most effective to review the material every one or two days. You know, it's okay to study every day. Uh, from a maths perspective, it's 0.7 days to 2.1 days. If you have a month before your test, you could try reviewing the material every three days up to every 10 days. The exact timing would depend on how well you ret retain the information and how frequently you need to reinforce your memory to ensure better retention and recall during the actual test. The key idea is to spread out your review sessions strategically throughout the month, giving yourself enough time to forget a bit between each session so that you have to work harder to remember it. Language immersion. The next scientific back strategy to improve your English learning is to engage in language immersion. One of my most popular episodes was actually on language immersion. Make sure you go and listen to it. I'll link it in the transcript. In short, if students are exposed to English in an immersive way, they demonstrate higher levels of English fluency. And immersion also has the added benefit of increasing your motivation to learn. One paper I found focuses on bilingual immersive education programs in schools. So while it's a little different for many of you listening, it may help provide some insights. This kind of immersion education originated in Canada during the 1960s, initially using French as the medium of instruction for English-speaking students. The goal was to promote fluency and literacy in both English and in French. By educating students in their second language, while providing support in their native language, this kind of immersive education is very successful at developing language proficiency. For those of you with children, research suggests that bilingual education of children does not negatively affect a child's academic performance. In fact, the opposite is true. 
research supports the interdependence hypothesis that developing proficiency in one language positively affects the development of academic skills in the other language. So, what can adult English learners take from this? Well, try to learn something in English. This doesn't necessarily mean study English, but read something about history in English. Take a free course on computing online, or listen to every episode of Thinking in English. Learning something in English is an incredible way to study and learn, and that is the exact principle that inspires and guides thinking in English. And this is how children advance quickly in bilingual and immersive schools. As well as studying the language, they are using that language to study other topics. There are, of course, lots of other ways to immerse yourself in English. I've talked about a lot before. Try to surround yourself with English as much as possible. Watch English movies, TV shows, and videos. Listen to English music and podcasts. Read English books or articles. The more exposure you have to the language, the faster your fluency will improve. And I recommend you all to join the Thinking in English Patreon and community. There are events held in English all the time, and discussion chats available twenty four seven for you to train yourself to think in English. Context and language learning. One element of language learning that is often overlooked by learners and teachers is context. You may have heard this term context before, but what does it actually mean? What does it exactly mean? Context refers to the surrounding information or environment that helps give meaning to language. It includes visual cues, real-world information. And situational factors that influence how we understand words, sentences, and communication as a whole. Context provides additional clues and references that help us comprehend language accurately and interpret its intended meaning. Understanding context is essential for effective language comprehension and communication. I recently read some articles about psycholinguistics, a field of study that explores various aspects of language, such as how we acquire language, how we learn it, how we produce it, and how we comprehend it. I came across Dr. Pia Noferla, who I've definitely spelled, said her name wrong, but sorry, Pia Noferla, who uses advanced technologies like eye tracking. And event-related brain potentials to study how our brains process language in real time, and also the role of context in that process. And her research has revealed three steps to learning a language: first, building the sentence structure and assigning meaning. This step involves analyzing the words and grammar in a sentence to construct its proper structure. And give meaning to each word. For example, identifying the subject, verb, and object in a sentence, and understanding how they relate to each other. Second, connecting the interpretation to the visual context or real-world information. 
So once we understand the sentence structure, our brains link those words' meanings to the visual context or real-world knowledge. This step helps us make sense of the sentence by connecting it to our understanding of the world and the specific situation we are in. And third, confirming the interpretation with representations of the visual context. So finally, our brain double-checks this interpretation it made by comparing it with the mental representations of the visual context and real-world knowledge. This process helps ensure that the interpretation is accurate and aligns with what we know or perceive about the surrounding environment. So, I guess to summarise that, the research emphasises that context plays a crucial role in our ability to understand language. However, the effects of context can vary depending on factors like your age, your literacy level and your language skills. In particular, when visual information provides clues or cues that refer to specific elements in the context, language comprehension becomes faster and more robust compared to when the visual context is not directly linked to language cues. So that all sounds slightly confusing, but for English learners, this research has some practical implications and relevance. First, it tells us about the importance of context. Understanding context is vital for language learners. Context can help you grasp the meanings of words and phrases more effectively. So try to use and expose yourself to English in various contexts, such as reading articles, watching videos and engaging in conversations. Try to build that, that context, your understanding of words in different situations. Next is the use of visual cues. So you can incorporate visual aids and context into your language learning. For example, when learning new vocabulary, associate those words with images or situations to reinforce your memory and understanding. Next, interpretation and verification. So when you're learning new sentence structures, focus not only on what uh, the sentence means, but also verifying whether it fits the given context. So practice comprehending sentences in different contexts to enhance your language skills. Right? Understand if that sentence is supposed to be sarcastic or happy or sad or negative or positive. Understand whether, whether it fits in the situation or it doesn't fit in the situation. And finally, be mindful of context effects. Recognise that context effects may vary based on individual factors, like your age, your proficiency and your reading ability. Don't be discouraged by occasional challenges. Instead, you can use them as learning opportunities. Focus on pronunciation. I've lived in Japan for quite a few years now, and I have studied the language since 2016. And one of the biggest challenges I have faced throughout my time is pronunciation. Now, this is not necessarily me making sounds, 
but the ability to recognise sounds other people are making. I remember really, really struggling with people's names as an English teacher back in 2016. A student could tell me their name, their Japanese name, three or four times, and my brain just couldn't comprehend it. Fortunately for me, the sounds of Japanese are relatively similar to English sounds. But there are a few that English doesn't have or rarely uses. Sounds like kyo or ryu. And when I was a Japanese beginner, my brain struggled to categorise these sounds. Even today, I sometimes need to ask people to repeat themselves and sound out words phonetically before I finally grasp what they're saying. The challenge was even more difficult while trying to learn Chinese. I just could never get my head around the tonal sounds. The difference between ma and ma. Why am I talking about this? Well, you can't begin to communicate and learn a language if you do not understand the sounds of that language. And learning a new language as an adult can be challenging due to the brain's difficulty in distinguishing unfamiliar sounds. Babies can distinguish all sounds in all languages. But as they grow, they become experts in their native language's sounds, making it harder to regain the ability to distinguish foreign sounds later in life. As an English speaker, I learned the difference between thirst and first, or law and raw, by listening to lots and lots of examples and getting lots of input. Audio input works well for babies, but not for adults. Or at least input alone doesn't work for adults. Research conducted on Japanese adults in 2002 tested their abilities to understand the difference between R or R and L or L sounds by practising or playing random recordings of the words rock and lock and then asking those adults to press the key R or L depending on which sound they heard. They performed only slightly better than pure chance. So basically they were terrible. They were just guessing the difference between rock and lock. And this is because Japanese does not have distinct R and L sounds. After an hour of intense practice, there was no improvement. Audio input wasn't enough. Just listening and practicing wasn't enough to help them improve. However, when the researchers introduced immediate feedback, things began to change. So each time they guessed R or L, a green or red light flashed, indicating if they were right or wrong. Over the next few minutes, the adults began learning the difference and could perform with an 80% accuracy. So what is the conclusion for us adult learners? Well, feedback is a crucial factor in training the brain to hear new sounds, leading to improved listening comprehension, memorization, and pronunciation. 
We also need to be inputting lots of audio into our brains while learning and getting feedback. Training with a small amount of input, like in traditional language learning programs where you maybe spend five minutes listening each class, may not produce results like those in real-world situations where you encounter different words, speakers and accents. A good approach could be training your brain through video games or by improving other cognitive functions, right? other brain functions, like your working memory and your attention span, which can enhance speech perception skills for language learners. Also, ear training tools using hard-to-hear words um, and testing software can make foreign words easier to hear and remember aiding language learning. And there are lots of these listening, testing apps and software out there. Focusing on pronunciation and teaching yourself to recognise the sounds of English will really increase your ability to comprehend and use the language. Without knowing and understanding the sounds, you can't really remember as much as you should be able to. So go and focus on training your ability to understand these sounds. So here is today's final thought. In this episode, I've looked at some scientific and research-based methods that you can all incorporate into your English learning routine. Embracing spaced or distributed practice spreading out your study time over a longer period, could really help you deepen your knowledge. Immersing yourself in English will increase your exposure and keep you motivated. Psycholinguistics tells us that context is essential. Think about the situation in which you are studying and attach ideas to visual cues. And finally, focus on pronunciation to become accustomed and an expert in the sounds of English. In researching this episode, I came across a lot more tips and tricks about sleep, immediate feedback, enjoyment and more. I'll talk about all of this next time. But for now, what do you think? What advice do you have for other English learners? And are you going to try any of the tips and scientific-based advice that I gave you in this episode. Let me know by leaving a comment on Spotify, a comment on uh, the Thinking in English transcript, um, or you can send me a message on Instagram. Uh, Make sure your guys are always using the transcripts. I make them free for every single Thinking in English episode. Sometimes I get comments from people asking where they are. Well, go to my website, thinkinginenglish.blog, Uh, Click on the podcast tab and you can search on the website as well. Search the episode titles and they are all there. Every single episode transcript. Um, They're also linked in the description of this podcast as well. Um, And for my Patreon subscribers, you can also access interactive transcripts and extended vocabulary lists. So for just $5 a month, um, you can get all of that stuff and some bonus episodes and some other cool things as well. But thank you all so much for listening today. Um, I hope you have a great day and I'll see you all next time.
Goodbye.